Sam Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Gonna be seeing some stuff and you're gonna fucking love it. This is Emsolation. What advice would you give your teenage self, Michael Lucas? You're gay. Well, it's pretty easy. <laughs> you can do it. If you're worried you can't do it, I'm here to tell you, you can. You can't be unhappy when you're stuffing that in your mouth. You're in Emsolation. And if that soundbite doesn't get used in our new intros, I don't know what is up or down. Hello, darlings. How are you? Welcome to another week of Emsolation. Um, so maybe some of you are new. Welcome. Maybe some of you have been here from the start. I love you. Hey, uh... On Friday night, in case you missed it, Michael and I did a, a an Instagram live talking about, obviously, Donald Trump versus COVID. If you haven't watched it yet, I just want you to know it's there on our Instagram page at Emsolation Podcast. A lot of you did tune in. Uh, it, it was <laughs> me after a cocktail. Michael had been fasting because he and Adrian intermittently fast because, you know, health apparently. I. I can't do that, but anyway. So it's there on our Instagram page. I just don't want you to feel like you've missed anything. We do talk about it again today, but um, it might be worth seeing our faces react live. I have been – okay, I'll just be honest. I was like – in my mind I was going to be like, hi, guys, I'm good. I haven't been good. If any of you saw the project on Thursday night, I spoke about Chrissy Teigen and how she very bravely posted about losing her baby – she was quite far along in her pregnancy. I think she was almost halfway and um, she had been kind of over the last few weeks talking about how her placenta was weak and how she'd been bleeding and then she was admitted to hospital and she posted then these really sad photos, very sad photos, how they lost their son, Jack. And when I saw the post, I felt really triggered. I felt I felt like immense – I kind of held my breath when I saw it and I um, – I suffered a miscarriage. I, I lost a baby close to 16 weeks. And um, as I kind of look out my window now, he's buried in a pot plant in my garden. In And um, I look at him every morning and, and I think about it. And you, you get used to kind of living with it and you, and you don't feel better. But the, your ability to kind of push through the waves of grief gets better and better. As you know, any of you who've dealt with loss. But losing a baby to me, and I've experienced the grief of losing someone I love, very close family members. I've been there as they've died. But when I lost Ray, it was a different kind of grief. And if you're listening now and you've experienced the loss of a pregnancy and of an unborn child, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's this weird, intimate kind of internal grief that you almost feel like your body's let you down or it's it's a strange feeling and and I hadn't felt that in a long time and I saw Chrissy's post and I was taken back with searing clarity to that pain and then the producers of the project asked me if I would speak about it on the telly and I really was in two minds I I didn't want to initially I I said no because I didn't want it to look like I was making Chrissy's loss about my me and then I thought about it and and um I realised I'd kind of made a commitment. I did a a stand-up show tour called Evil Queen a few years ago and the premise of that show was my miscarriage. And also that year I'd been painted in the press as being evil and a bitch and a diva and impossible to work with. And I I, I made this show around the fact that, you know, all the Disney Evil Queens, you can kind of trace back to that moment of trauma where they kind of turn and lose their faith in humanity and in themselves. And, And for me it was losing the baby. That was my evil queen moment. And I made a commitment to talk about miscarriage quite openly 
because I remember feeling like I was the only person to ever have lost a baby when I did. I felt alone. I didn't know anyone who'd suffered a miscarriage. I had never really expected to because I'd had two healthy pregnancies, two pregnancies that went to full term. And so I found myself kind of alone Googling in the middle of the night and online I found this massive community of women who had lost babies. And then I read that one in four pregnancies end that way and – you know, when it became public knowledge, a lot of women I knew said to me, oh, yeah, I've had one too. Yet they suffered alone and they grieved alone. And I realised I'd kind of be breaking that commitment if I didn't talk about Chrissy on the telly. And I was really nervous going into the show and the whole show, I was just kind of fixated on on doing a good job and not, and I didn't want to cry. I don't know, for some reason, I, I feel like I had to make myself dead on the inside when I spoke about it. So we did it and then Friday morning it was in the press and I didn't read any of it. I didn't want to know. I I was afraid people would be saying that I was, you know, trying to make it about me or or whatever. But I did get a lot of messages from you guys saying thank you again for talking about it and making you feel less alone. So, you know, if I made even just one person feel less alone, then I'm okay with copping shit for, um, you know, being selfish. So I, I did, I got home from the project on Thursday night and I had a big cry. I'm even getting teary now. Um, so I spent a lot of the weekend thinking about Ray. But then, you know, the strange thing is if you've had a baby after you've lost a baby, it's a weird place to be, isn't it? It's a strange limbo, the, the emotion of the baby after losing a baby. Because Elio, who is just the centre of my universe, I love him so much and anyone who meets us or follows us knows he's just healed the gaping wound that I felt like I was carrying around. He's filled it up with just the most beautiful kind of love. He wouldn't be here if Ray had have lived. So it's a strange place to sit emotionally. So, yeah, I spent the weekend feeling a little bit bruised and a little bit traumatised. <laughs> But I'm okay. You know, I've had a lot to take in, obviously, with all the stuff going on with Donald Trump. Um, But, yeah, I just did want to address why I spoke about my miscarriage in relation to, you know, what Chrissy Teigen had posted. And, again, I think I I read that she's been getting trolled and people are writing awful things. And I just – I'm often amazed at how people can be shitty like that, how someone could be in a place where they – see a woman posting about being in the most you know it's scorched earth stuff it is and how you could look at another human holding her baby that's passed in deep deep pain and trauma and then write something awful underneath I mean imagine being that awful of a person imagine what they're going through in their life so I do think that her posting it was incredible and I still find it extremely hard to talk about it I still find it you know, when I I think I've boxed it up and I think uh, I'm able to kind of go on and that's how we survive, we compartmentalise. But if I lift the lid on that compartment and dig in a little bit, it just slams me in the face again. But, um, yeah, I, I, I hope, you know, this hasn't brought up anything for you and, and, you know, if you've lost a baby or you know someone who's lost a baby, I'm sorry for you um, and you know exactly the ups and downs of it and you know the emotions, the complicated emotions of, of what comes after. And at the time I was pushing through in breakfast radio and I was doing, you know, arguably the hardest job in radio, Sydney Breakfast, the most contended seat, the one that Kyle and Jackie O had left and all eyes were on me and I think a lot of people were hoping I failed and a lot of people were just interested in seeing what happened and 
you know, my first year in Breakfast Radio, I lost a baby and in my second year on Breakfast Radio in Sydney, I got pregnant. And then for those of you who know, when you get pregnant after losing a baby, you spend the whole pregnancy in fear. You hold your breath for every movement. You hold your breath for every heart monitor check, every, you know, you sit in that ultrasound, you're not overjoyed, you're just terrified until your obstetrician looks at you and says, there's the heartbeat. And then I was still getting up every morning and and trying to pretend like I was a normal person and I was not. I was a woman in deep trauma. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that whole time of my life, those whole two years of miscarriage and getting pregnant again and all the shit that went down with with that radio job, I look back on that person and she was very, very unwell. Um, and I'm glad I'm, I'm here now and I'm good and I'm able to talk about it and I'm much happier and evolved. So still working on it, still working on, you know, not letting that time kind of dictate everything I think about myself, still rehabilitating myself in my own mind. Shit, I've been rambling. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> I just looked at the time. I'm sorry. Feel free to skip forward. Do the 15 seconds, skip forward. I'll bring Michael in now. Obviously, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to be talking about Trump. There's just so many. He's been let out of hospital. Jesus Christ, this is just, what a circus. You wouldn't believe it if this was a fiction. If this was written as a book or a TV show, you'd be like, oh, that's unrealistic writing. But it's real life, guys. And then uh, we're going to talk about some 80s parenting. Michael's been watching a doco about an 80s theme park that reminded him of a time where his parents encouraged him to jump from a moving bus most days. Ah, oh, 80s parenting. What a fun time. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. You know that. And it enables me to keep doing radio and broadcasting without the trauma. <laughs> Although I do work through it, don't I? Okay, guys, enjoy. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. All right, well, this is the first official discussion of what is going on in US politics. Michael Lucas. Hello. Um, We did a live Friday night, which people loved. So if you want to go back and watch Michael and I talking about Donald Trump and coronavirus, as it happened, it's on our Instagram account, Emsolation Podcast. We've had pretty much an uninterrupted feed of text to each other with every new development, every tweet, everything obsessed over. I had to stop consuming news. Like, you know, when you have to break up, you're in a bad relationship. <laughs> I had to just, it was like when I have a packet of chocolate biscuits in my house and I have to keep going back. Like I, I, I had to turn my phone off. Well, it was also an element of let's just pace ourselves because we all know it's like, you know, seven to 10 days in when we really find out what's going on. And so therefore, if we gobble everything up too quickly at the start, we're just going to burn out. <laughs> Yeah, and just keep reading the same articles written 10 different ways, which is what I found myself doing. I've also become an expert on uh, treatment for coronavirus and certain steroids <laughs> yeah. and their effects on um, geriatric men who have uh, high blood pressure and obesity problems. Yeah, I could break down the pros and cons of most <laughs> steroids that he's been administered at this point. <laughs> I feel like I could quite confidently treat a patient. A hundred percent. If someone turned up here with Corona, if I could get my hands on some remdesivir, is that how you say yeah, it? it? Sounds like yeah. a Viking. Um, if I could get my hands on some remdesivir, I'd be pretty confident. Like, and some and some aspirin. Apparently, there's some aspirin being used. Americans so. just take aspirin for everything, though. <laughs> in, in America, I honestly feel like aspirin's just part of your day, no matter what. I mean, there's so much to get through. But first of all, for me, on a personal note, I have been alarmed at how many of my friends have openly stated, I hope he dies on social media. That for me has been, 
I, I don't want him to die. I want him to get better so Joe can beat him soundly so he no one can ever say that the president was at a disadvantage, that Trump could have won if only. I want him to get well so he can get beaten fairly and squarely. That's kind of my attitude. Yes. Yeah. No, I also, I don't want people to say that because I feel like it gives too much ammunition to his supporters. <laughs> That's... That's another also, reason why I get does. alarmed when I see those tweets. Where's our baseline of humanity going? Like that's that's the biggest one. It's a slippery slope. If you can openly and it's socially acceptable say I hope this person dies and have a lot of people go, "Yeah, yeah, where are we?" Yeah, things with are good. Humanity. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say we're not at a high point. <laughs> a lot of the population is, is willingly wishing death upon the leader of the yes. people. And he's done abhorrent things and by all accounts he's an abhorrent person. But I still think that at some point you've got to remember your humanity. And, mm. you know, there are people mounting the arguments, he's someone's daddy, someone's father, his uncle, what husband, whatever. Yes, all of those things. But he's an awful, awful man who's caused a lot of hurt and heartache and in some cases arguably death for how negligent he's been with the COVID response. But I I think we need to draw the line as a species at openly wishing death. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good foundation of civilization. Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good one to live by. Let's let's stick by that going forward. I've been so uncomfortable with the tweets from people I know well. Just like I hope he dies. Like, Jesus! It's Look, so I will defend though. I will defend firstly, a lot of people that have been questioning is this real? They've been getting some criticism, but I defend those people because the I amount question it. Of what did I text you? What did I text you? I said I don't know if this is real. I don't know if it's real. I still don't know. I feel pretty sure he does have it because he's doing such a bad job of trying to hide the symptoms. But <laughs> I, I I think it's it's actually pretty logical response to to say to start questioning something that he declares about the anything he declares about the coronavirus given the level of lies that have come out. So I think that's okay. And also, I know people making jokes about it is sometimes look badly on, but I I think to a certain level there is an element of yeah. Chris Rock put it on the, um, he did a monologue on Saturday Night Live and he said as a joke, it's almost too, it's almost too far. And his equivalent was, if I'm a comedian and I've been making all these jokes about how belts are stupid and right in the middle of telling that joke, my pants fall down, that's actually, it's almost too far as a joke. It's just too obvious, too stupid. (laughs) That's a good point. I always err on making jokes and, you know, someone's, like I said, someone's life is in the balance. I just think people will look unkindly back on those jokes. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I don't know. There's the, the jokes about Melania. Someone said it's the first time she's been positive around him and Joel Creasy said, oh, at least I'll get to know each other now in isolation. And, you know, those kind of jokes. I, I, I don't know. I still just feel like let's just wait and see. But it is, it is so ridiculous. The thing he said wasn't really a thing. And that it only affects old sick people and everyone else will be fine and we're on top of it. And then to get the thing, oh, gosh. I know. <laughs> it, uh, and then to get it at, at the event <laughs> where he was announcing the new Supreme Court and then to give it to so many people in the, in, in, in the circle, for that to be a super spreader, for Kellyanne Conway to get it and oh. for it to be reported by her daughter the on daughter TikTok. The daughter on TikTok. Is there a more 2020 sentence? <laughs> Donald Trump has COVID. Kellyanne Conway also tests positive. Daughter reports are on TikTok. I just, <laughs> I feel like we've just Yahtzee 2020. If someone's got a bingo, we're done. But 
I mean, the whole the, the timeline sketchy. He may have even known. It's being suggested he might have known before the debate that he was a possibility because they turned up too late to be tested. That's um, right. Yeah. Also, there's a missing test from Joe Biden. He re- he promised to release the daily test, and he hasn't released one since Friday. So people are concerned about that. Oh, I didn't uh, even know that one. Yes, Mike Pence is still going to be going to travel around, even though people are like, "Dude, you're on the line of succession. You need to go and be in a bunker somewhere. Stay safe." He's oh, still having said go that, I don't and- want him to miss the debate. I really don't. No, <laughs> this. How can he? This is undefendable. Like when when she, when Kamala comes at him with, well, your entire White House has COVID, and by the way, they're not making masks mandatory. That for me was the most wild. But I couldn't believe it. The White House are not making masks mandatory. <laughs> they, they just said no. We don't have to. No one at the White House has to. And also, a bunch of White House staff have come out and said we don't know what's going on. There's no emails going around. There's no testing. We don't know if we should be isolating. We don't know who's been exposed. So, like, it sounds like it's an absolute chamozzle. <laughs> yes, although, I mean, by this stage we should come to expect. <laughs> it's still so, Elements of it still surprise me, though, and I, I must admit the fleet of doctors that came out to offer the reports. Oh, I mean, I'm glad they think- were wearing their white coats so we knew they were doctors. <laughs> Yeah, and the lead doctor very much looking like a television doctor, not a real doctor, although he is a real doctor. Sean Connolly of Walter Reed Hospital. Yes. And and, um, one of the leading physicians for the president was a bit confused about how he was going. Um, (laughs) But if you think there's – I mean, when in your life are you going to go out and deliver critical information to literally billions? Billions of people are watching. They're going to be pouring over everything you said. You need to go out there and be water tight. This is the leader of the free world. People are worried that his life is on the line. You cannot make a mistake. Just like, just five minutes before. Okay, guys, what's our play? Okay, (laughs) what are we, what were you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Okay, I'll say the same. Great, go, work, team, Trump. Like, it was really weird. It was like they just didn't even speak. And then he but goes out and he, he says 72 hours when that was the wrong time frame, which yep. introduced so many questions about when he got it. And then classically just, I don't know whether, did he not anticipate that people would say, has he been on oxygen? And then to just answer, he's not on oxygen now. Let's have a listen to this because it's amazing. The way he just keeps, just keeps pissing off the reporter. He has not received any supplemental oxygen. He's not on oxygen right now. That's right. He has not received any at all. He's he's not needed anybody any uh, this morning today at all. That's right. I mean, there you go. I mean, he just was not answering that question. But was the president on oxygen when he went to the hospital? But he's not on it now, guys. Okay, that's not what we're asking, Sean. <laughs> Sean was rock solid. But then um, the White House came forward and said that, straight after and said, "Oh no, he's really bad." Yesterday, you told us that the president was in great shape, had been in good shape and fever-free for the previous twenty-four hours. Minutes after your press conference, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows told reporters that the president's vitals were very concerning over the past 24 hours. Simple question for the American people. Whose statements about the president's health should we believe? So uh, the chief and I work side by side, and uh, I think his statement was misconstrued. What he meant was that uh, 24 hours ago, when uh, he and I were checking on the president, that there was that momentary episode of the high fever and, and that temporary drop uh, in the saturation, which prompted us to act uh, you know, expediently to move him up here. 
fortunately, that was really a very transient, limited episode. Uh, a couple hours later, he was back up, uh, mild again. I'm not going to speculate what that uh, that limited episode was about so early in the course, but uh, he's doing well. Now my brain's like, what's the political – muddying the waters on whether he's okay or not. So the doctors say he's fine. The White House staff who aren't medical professionals say he's not fine. What's the political gain there of making people confused? Well, I mean, it's Trump, I think, wanting to project strength. Although today, today, Sean came out and acknowledged that he's been on oxygen twice. And, <laughs> and, oh, shit. But then he said um, he wanted to maintain the upbeat Correct. tone. And Correct. then he For also Trump. said For he Trump did, watching. Yes, exactly. You know, You'd be acutely so, aware of Trump watching on yeah, Fox Yeah, no, but News. Alyssa Farah, who's the White House comms director, d- directly said the doctor lied to reassure Donald Trump. So who would be watching? That's the specific reason he did it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. I can understand that maybe if you have a very, very panicky patient, and I'm 100% sure he would be a panicky little patient. Yeah, but a lot of Mark stock markets rely on that Oh, yeah, no, I know. There's no, there's no, it's, it's not like no telling your kid when they've cut their hand and you can see bone, no, babe, it's fine, it's fine, don't look, you'll be fine, we'll just go to hospital, get some stitches. It's different to when stock markets, economies rely on this information. I vividly remember actually speaking of that when I was a little kid, I fell back on a folding chair and cracked my head and my head started bleeding everywhere. And my mother, who was a nurse clutching it, I remember so vividly saying, it's not blood, it's tomato sauce. It's not blood, it's tomato sauce. (laughs) Yeah. Both my girls have cracked open the back of their head and we had to go to the hospital and get staples or stitches and I was lying saying the same thing. No, it's a bit of paint from before. It's a bit of paint. Are you painting? 100%. So he's essentially doing what we did to our toddlers. Yeah. The doctor to the president. And then he delivered the, the television address and Twitter went into a meltdown saying that it possibly was staged before he left the White House, that he was signing a blank piece of paper, that they used Adobe Pro to suppress his coughs and edit them out. That, I, I, As you know, I like to maintain a healthy level of scepticism about all these sort of things, except that is an absolute edit. That uh, what do you is mean? so for anyone who even has rudimentary knowledge of. What do you of, mean? Tell me how you know. The, the the cough bit, yeah. It, it is just look at the bit. It's like about one minute six into the address. It it's a complete glitch in the picture. Like they've tried to smooth it over with a bit of the 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 morph function on the edit, but it absolutely looks like he's going to cough, and then all of a sudden, like in an instant, it resets. Once you see it, it's it, it, it's absolutely there's absolutely an edit there. There's no way that that's some little tick that he did in the moment. It, they've cut out something. We're going to beat this coronavirus or whatever you want to call it, and we're going to beat it soundly. So many things have happened. If you look at the therapeutics which I'm taking right now, some of them, and others are coming out soon that are looking like, uh, frankly, they're miracles. If you want to know the truth, they're miracles. You're sounding like me right now. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Normally I would, normally I'd be so wary of this, but there is an edit in that video. There is. Okay. Okay. Oh, hang on. Breaking news. Trump leaving hospital right now. Wait, breaking news on the podcast. No, this has happened before. I could always just press pause, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna go and look. Um, Donald Trump leaves hospital in what? In motorcade. This is CNN breaking news. This is the moment. One clearly designed for the cameras. 
that the president left the hospital in his motorcade. He has been at Walter Reed since Friday being treated for coronavirus. And his motorcade just went directly past a gathering of his supporters who were outside Walter Reed. The president waving to them. And now we are told he's back inside the hospital in the presidential suite there. Oh, the supporters, by the way, out front of the hospital, not wearing masks and not social distancing. And holding signs up that say, save the children, which confused me. But the thing that I don't understand is we all know that for COVID, you're not in the clear until the seven to ten day mark, which he's not in yet. And then, but also if he goes back to the White House, isn't he just going to potentially infect a whole lot of other people? That's my question. What about the driver of the car? What about every single, like, why are they moving some, an active corona patient case around? He's like, besides the fact he's the president. Isn't this thing highly contagious? Yeah. Like, wouldn't someone have to, like, get him in the car, be in the car with him, get him out of the car? What about all the people around him? This feels very dangerous. Or does it back the theory up that he doesn't have it? Oh, my God. This is bonkers. Oh God. He's thanking supporters. He's waving to the crowd. Either way, this plays for him. He's dominated the news cycle. Now he looks super tough because he's leaving the hospital after only two days. I know. I wish I have had wobbles I, I, when we first had it on um, when we first did the Insta story about it on Friday night, I came out strongly and said, I think that I thought that this was actually going to play pretty well for him. And then there have been times over the weekend where I thought, you know, maybe it's really not, but I, no. I still feel like it is. And it kills me to say that because there it's is no logical reason why it should no. play well, yeah, but he's the hype man. Well. He's the fucking hype <laughs> man. <laughs> it's definitely going to play well. A hundred percent. The magical unicorn of death, again, cannot see a winner of the election. I can't see it. Oh. And, and she was confident of Biden three, four months ago. But the magical unicorn of death is seeing, like, it's almost like the future is shifting every day. It's like, I can't get a hold on the future. Oh, so it's no. changing. It's changing. It's changing too much for me to be able to make a prediction. Oh, no. But on the project last week, we did have a guy who's like a science whiz, a numbers whiz, who predicts the future using algorithms from he takes from Twitter and news cycles and stuff. I saw that dude. Yeah. He, and he, he predicted like Trump victory. Yes. Yeah. But is his numbers being taken off Russian pe- Russian intelligence infiltrating Twitter and Facebook? Who's to say? Oh, I do keep on hit listening to podcasts where people go into swing states and, yeah. you know, they say, gee, all the polls say that Biden's ahead, but if you drive around, you see nothing but Trump lawn signs. And remember, people lie about oh, no. voting for Trump because they're embarrassed they voted for Trump or they don't want to cop it, so they don't tell the truth. So exit polls are bullshit, in my opinion, because someone's not going to come out and say, you know, if, they, if they're not an open Trump supporter, maybe they don't want their friends and family to know if there's a camera in their face. I think it's much closer than we think. Oh. I really believe that. The problem with the magical unicorn's powers are, like, what's going to be ultimately better for me? Is it better that I have hope for a month and then just absorb the blow? Or is it better that I feel increasingly nauseated and then it passes and I just sort of feel dead inside? I feel comfortable saying I think there's a very good chance he's going to win. Like, I do feel comfortable saying that. Or either way, we're not going to have a president because if Biden wins, it'll be by a bee's dick and then Trump will contest it till the cows come home. And they've set it up so well to contest it too. He's raised so many suspicions about um, (laughs) mail-in votes and they've Mm -hmm. got all their lawyers and his son's out there asking for able-bodied people to come and join the legal fight to, I don't know, discount as many mail ballots as possible. And it's terrifying. 
before we move on to something else terrifying that you've been watching, uh, I will throw in the mix just for everyone to really make your day that Donald Trump Jr. is a possibility to become a, a senator. He's going to run for a Senate seat. Oh, so God. just keep that in your hat. Yes. <laughs> That's He'll be the first Trump to have governed properly. And the irony being he was the loser child. There's a really interesting thing that's happened with the Murdochs and the Trumps, yeah. which were with, with the Murdochs, it was James and Elizabeth with the two star kids and then Lachlan mm. was, oh, he was a bit of a screw-up. Not a full screw-up, but a partial screw-up. But as, as things have <laughs> transpired, it seems like James and Elizabeth have both grown consciences. And so <laughs> they've moved aside and now Lachlan's going to take over. And likewise, Donald Trump Jr., at the beginning of all of this, I mean, we mm. all know that Ivanka was... The golden Favourite child. child. Yeah. And then Donald Trump was the one organising the stupid meeting with the Russians that almost ruined everything for them. Oh. But as time's gone on, he's connected with Donald Trump's rabid fans much more than Ivanka. Oh, yeah. He's the heir apparent. He's a white man. She's uh, She's got a vagina. That's against her first and foremost. And also, she, I mean, not that I have any sympathy for her at all, but it does appear she does have some level of shame about her. Like she has yes. a sense of shame. Oh, I don't know. She cares about the environment. She cares about the way she looks, and I don't think he cares about anything. No. <laughs> Odie told me the Baron Trump is like a um, a TikTok thing. I was talking to Odette about it, and she's like, yeah, everyone's like free Baron. And I said, is that just because he's like remotely, like he's kind of good looking? And she's just like, I don't know, but everyone all on TikTok, my, my friends talk about Baron Trump. So he's a thing. He's become like an enigma, the tall, quiet, youngest son. Oh, and I, I was sad that I knew all these kids' names. Like I was sad that I knew that it was Ivanka, Eric, Donald, Tiffany and Baron. Oh, look, that, I mean, that's inevitable. The amount of <laughs> we have, we've jumped into this pool and we're swimming around in it and we just need to accept that that's what we're doing. You're going to know their names. You're going to know the names of their partners. I You're probably at one point going to read one of their autobiographies and you know it and I know it and we just need to accept it. My favourite's Tiffany, I have to say. If oh, I had absolutely. to pick a favourite, Trump's. Oh, my favourite's Mary, the niece. No question. But- <laughs> Mary. Now, uh, we'll move out of Trump land and into terrifying 80s reflections. You've been watching a doc- – I don't know why you've watched this documentary. What is there a reason for watching it? I just saw people on social media talking about it. So what and is it? And then I watched the trailer. It's called Class Action Park and it's about a theme oh, park Christ. in the 1980s yeah. in New Jersey that was drastically low on any kind of safety restrictions and the level of serious injuries and deaths there was just extreme. And it basically it, it ran for most of the decade of the 80s until eventually, of course, all the lawsuits and everything caught up with it and it was finally, oh finally shut down. There's nothing in the world like Action Park. Baby, let me take you, baby. Action is hot. Action, Action Park. The story of Action Park is a true crime story. Build it higher, make it faster. People control the action. Combine that with liquor and anything goes. There were no rules. For a lot of kids, that was heaven. And if you couldn't swim well, Yikes. The doco acts as sort of like a tribute to the 80s, to the time before any kind of safety regulations. And when you see the kind of stupid water slides, like their attempts to do full 360-degree loops on, you know, terribly – on water slides with no engineering uh, involved with it whatsoever, it it really takes you back to the time when – kids would go out unsupervised and it was basically life or death. And it kind of made the point that the late – the 80s were the last – decade 
where that was really the case. From the 90s onwards, we started getting really obsessed with safety. I don't know how many people died at Action Park, but it wasn't just one person. Electrocuted. Decapitated. Fractured vertebrae. Impaled on the bowl. Had a heart attack. Nobody should ever be the second person to die in a wave pool. Close the wave pool. My parents would flat out be in jail or docs would be onto them. There's just no way. Oh, it's the generation that parenting, the last time you could be a shit parent and get away with it. A hundred percent. And also it was kind of confusing and bewildering because the eighties is when all the mums were like, I'm going to work, bro. And then all the dads were kind of left. My dad was in charge a lot. And when I say in charge, I use that term very loosely. And we, we just, we just ran a mark. Totally. I would, on, I would get on my bike at the start of the day and then we used to have a public phone at the end of our street and yeah. sometimes they would try and call that and if you were riding past at the right time and <laughs> some, someone's mum was on the phone, someone might answer it. Like it was that kind of shit. And we were always obsessed with things like billy carts and shit like that, oh, taking them down yes. huge shields. And it was all about daring yourself to do the most you know, dramatic thing that you possibly could. And it was not uncommon to say, oh, Nick Reed, he went over on the billy cart and, like, a, a, he fell into a branch and it pierced his cheek and yeah. knocked out two teeth. Like, it was, that shit it would was, happen constantly. It was a decade where you jumped off your roof into the pool, into your above-ground pool that was only, like, a metre deep. Yeah, the, the th- jumping off things was a really oh. big part. Of, and it's a big part of this documentary as well. Like, there were many attractions in that that were just basically, we've got a cliff next to some water. Anyone can jump if they want. And and with very little supervision to make sure that people didn't jump on top of yeah. another person. Every once in a while they clear it out to make sure there wasn't a body on the bottom of the pool. And sometimes there was. Oh, my God. <laughs> Scott's mum used to send him down the shops to buy a Winnie Blues. Oh, that's just beautiful. Like, just like a six-year-old. Just go down the shops, here's some money, buy me some ciggies. And the person sold it to the six-year-old. <laughs> I have one. There's one bit that I always think back on. Yeah. Uh, as, as the example, like, I cannot believe this happened. And it was when I got to high school, I was 12 years old and I started catching the bus home mm-hmm. and there were three of us in the year level that got off at the exact same stop. And we were all sitting there diligently waiting for the bus to stop. And then the bus just kept on going past our stop, despite the fact we were pulling the cord incessantly. And then yeah. the bus driver drove two Ks past our stop because it turned out one of the year 10 boys, Ben Sim, had his dad was friends with the bus driver and they'd arranged that Ben could just get dropped off at his home instead of <laughs> the actual bus stop, which was not convenient for <laughs> oh anyone else. God. And so we put it to the bus driver, oh, no, no, we need the official stop. We all, mm. you know, we our houses are all near there. And, and like with Ben, it was like on a roundabout. It was a terrible place to get off. Yeah. And for some reason, the bus driver, he was really shirty about it, really shirty about us needing to get off at the official stop. And so the negotiation was he would not stop, but he would open the bus doors <laughs> and slow ever so slightly. And we would just have to jump off the bus, the moving bus, onto the concrete. And as time went on, you know, I mean, you remember how heavy our, um, our yeah, school bags got? crazy, yeah. It would hit the point that we'd, you'd, you'd notice about 500 metres out, you'd prepare yourself, and it was like basically <laughs> parachuters getting off a plane. He would open the door like way in advance when he's still at full flight, and then we'd have to try and judge, and you'd be putting pressure on the person going first because if he didn't jump, then the rest of us would be stuck on the bus. And I remember one time sitting there, it was Jeremy Tan who had like 87 oh. bazillion library books in his bag, and we were Jeremy like, oh, Jeremy, you've got, to jump, you've got to jump now, otherwise we're going to miss out. And he jumped and fumbled and started like rolling after full body loops right next to the wheel of the bus. And this this just went on for my entire high school experience. What? It's completely accepted. 
I just thought, yeah, well, that's it. Just got to jump, jump from the moving bus. Never thought oh to complain about it. No, no one involved thought oh, to do anything about now. it. Imagine now. Like if, if my daughters call me if the bus is four minutes late and then I'm onto the bus company, I call them. Scarce, eh? My children have to get to school and your parents are just letting you run from a moving vehicle. Totally. Mind you, my parents, <laughs> both of whom were medical professionals, I have to say, at that stage had a Nissan Jeep that my oh. dad kept on buying vehicles that only had like the front seat because they always wanted to do like loading mm. wood and stuff like that. Let's not delve too psychologically into yeah, I know. I know. It's a terrible psychological <laughs> insight. And so when when we needed to transport kids to school, yeah. mum would chuck a couple of bean bags in the oh, tray. Oh, yes, same. We had a washing basket and a bean <laughs> bag in the back of the Datsun 180B and no seatbelts. No, so no seatbelts. Yeah. And, and, and all the other kids, kid, we, would, yeah. we would carpool at times in primary school to get in and all the kids would love it because the bean bag would slide around. So you'd have five kids yes. in the back on the tray sliding same. around with a bean bag. <laughs> If there had been a car accident, those we would have gone absolutely flying. 100%. I remember being obsessed with wanting to go to school in the boot one day. My dad was all for that. I lay inside a closed boot to get to school. And my dad loved that. I used to drive with dad on his lap down the shops. I would steer the car. Britney Spears brought that back in the 2000s, <laughs> as I recall. The baby was sitting backwards, though. I mean, the, I love it's so true. We were bought, but my dad, especially, he sees like safety as just a guideline. He welds in thongs. He just doesn't, he's always felt above the laws of everything, even with coronavirus, even when he's in the high risk category being an elderly male. Um, he's very fit, so he's not. Like, he doesn't have any pre-existing conditions. He's like, oh, nah, it's not going to get me. It's fine. It's it's for other people. The the the, the guidelines. I can go five k's outside of my radius. It's fine, him. Who's going to see me? Like, oh my god! Look Daddy, and tell you what, he's in good nick, Vincey, as well. I mean, Isn't so he? far, history and luck he's, has been on his side. He's just the best. But he used to encourage us to do get on the swing set and see if we could get all four legs off the ground. Like we used to swing it really high, and he'd be yelling at us, "Come on, harder!" <laughs> He put the trampoline under the roof for me and had a sprinkler running underneath it to jump on. Oh, just trampolines in general. I mean, now when you see the trampolines kids go on, (laughs) they're so padded and protected. Yeah, same. I broke my coccyx bone three times between the age of five and 15, giving birth, trying to – my coccyx bone is pointy like a witch's hat because it's so deformed from fucking trampoline injuries. (laughs) (laughs) Trampolining in the 80s was a fucking – it was an extreme sport. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Mind you, it was kind of glorious. I mean, I mean, the question is, uh, is it a good thing that it's all moved on? And I think by and large it is, but. Uh, no, because I'm the result of parenting. So I was very much, I mean, I was overparented by mum in that she was very on top of everything, like full mm. on. But in terms of safety and that shit, now because, you know, we were left sometimes under pool tables in sleeping bags while they had trivial pursuit parties. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I know what it is to have – I got bitten by a dog once and taken to a nurse and they called my mother and she asked if there was any blood. Not if I was okay. She asked <laughs> if there was any blood. They told her no. She said, okay, fine, send her to school. So, like, that's the kind of – you know, I know what it is to – so I overparent because I was underparented. So Cotton I think, wool. Yeah, I think there's kind of we need to find a middle ground between is there blood and um, <laughs> reasonable safety measures. <laughs> but if you do want to relive, go back and watch. It's on binge. It's called Class Action Park, and it was the zenith of eighties terror. It's amazing. The action never stops. 
All right. Well, I know you need to go. I know you get a busy day. We will be doing another Dilemma Doctors this week and we'll be following all the Trump stuff. Again, if you want to watch Michael and I from Friday night, just processing the news. Michael had been on a fast yeah, I was a bit, I was a bit spacey, and the, you know the story will probably change eighty bazillion times by the time you listen to this. We, we're oh, doing the best we can to keep up with we're it. Trying, we're <laughs> trying to keep up. We did have some breaking news in a podcast, which I think is unheard of. We did. I think, I think that defeats the purpose of the podcast. But anyway, all right, uh, I'll talk to you later. Okay, speak soon. Bye. Bye. This is Emsolation. Thank you for listening, my darlings. Dilemma Doctors will be coming out again this week. If you have a dilemma you'd like Michael and I to solve for you or possibly make worse, you can email hello at mraciano.com and uh, you could be featured here on Emsolation. Have a great day. If you're not following us on Instagram, why not? At Emsolation Podcast, we probably will do another live. It was kind of fun. Go and watch the live video of Michael and I from Friday night if you'd like to see kind of a podcast happening in real time. There it is. And if you'd like to become a patron, we've got a lot of new patrons, which is fantastic. If you'd like a membership to the podcast, we now offer, you can just do like a one-time kind of contribution to us, which I appreciate wholeheartedly. Uh, Have a great day and I'll talk to you later in the week. Bye. A Podcast One production.